Great to have you back with us on the 206 with Bump. I'm Tom and uh, Michael, it's always good. This will be the second time I say always because the first time was so great. Uh, we're looking forward to our second get together with former Seahawks, Dolphins, Saints GM, McMinnville and Linfield College legend, Randy Mueller joining us on the podcast. Randy, how how you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for the uh, uh, accolades. It's good to be back with you guys again. Yeah, nice to have you with us. By the way, uh, we, we want all of you listening to spread the good word about the podcast. Tell everybody you know, everybody you like, everybody you don't like. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. So with that, fellas... Uh, and Michael, I, I want to get your feedback first, and then we're going to we're going to get a bit of a player perspective from you, and then we'll get the management perspective from Randy. This Aaron Rodgers controversy that uh, blew up on draft day. He's made it very clear he wants out. He's got issues with the GM um, bump. When next season starts, will Aaron Rodgers be the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers? I think he will be. Uh, he wants out of that thing, but. He's still under contract. And if the Green Bay Packers don't want to move him, they don't have to move him. It's just, what are they willing to deal with? You already have Aaron Rodgers, who isn't the most likable guy in the world. He uh, he can ruffle some feathers. And I think that he's using his leverage as an elite quarterback to get himself out of there. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, they're angry with Aaron. Oh, just play football. You're under contract. People understand there's levels in this world, right? If you are an elite at what you do, you're allowed to behave and talk and demand different things. If this is Michael Bumpus in 2008, undrafted free agent making demands, I'm just kicked out the door. What are you doing? I'll get another one of you in here next week for a tryout. This is Aaron Rodgers. He, he doesn't feel supported, which I can agree with why he doesn't feel supported. Nine of the la- out of their last 10 first round picks have been on the defensive side of the ball. And the one time you go offense, it's for his replacement. Now, I'm hearing Jordan Love didn't have the greatest offseason, naturally, because last year you had the pandemic. He comes in, he's behind, he's not picking up the playbook. So they hit the panic button. And I think Aaron Rodgers saw that, went out, had an MVP season, and goes, now what? Now go, go ahead and, and play with your new toy that you brought in. I'm done. I want to get out of here. I'm not mad at Aaron Rodgers for feeling that way. I know some people are. But um, this is the business, and he's elite. He can make demands. I, I have no problem with it, but that's just me. Hey, Randy, I'm going to flashback 1983. I'm working at Cairo Radio. I'm a producer for Wayne Cody, the Mound of Sound. I know you remember Wayne. Mm. I took a call in the office from a guy who was refueling a private jet. This is during the evening hours at Boeing Field. And he told me, he goes, John Elway's on this private jet. And he just told me he's been traded to the Denver Broncos. That guy was right. Elway was there. He was on his way to Denver. And the reason I bring that story up is this. If John Elway, a guy who had never played in the NFL, could force the Baltimore Colts to trade him, doesn't Aaron Rodgers have some leverage here? Yeah, I think it's a great story. And yes, it it happens. Uh, I guess uh, Eli Manning was the other one that kind of forced his way out of San Diego, ended up with the Giants. I think in this case, I mean, you're talking about the reigning MVP, right? I do think in most cases, I would say management has the ha, has the more cards in their back pocket than a player does because no nobody wants to sit out and miss paychecks. In this case, I think Aaron Rodgers does hold the cards. I'll be honest with you. I think it's a it's definitely a um, uh, 
it, it's, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's more about respect than anything else. I think it's all respect. And uh, money does lead to that a little bit, but he got embarrassed last year when they picked, uh, you not only picked a quarterback to replace him, but traded up to get him. And then frankly celebrated in the draft room uh, when after it happened. And I don't think he's got that vision out of his mind yet. I think he saw that. I don't think it's a coincidence that this information got leaked out on draft day. I think that was on purpose by Aaron Rodgers as kind of a shot over the bow that, hey, you guys embarrassed me last draft. I'm going to embarrass you now. And yeah, by the way, you, you drafted uh, your guy, like uh, Bump said, but now I went out and won the MVP, so back at you. So I think it's just a wrestling match on, on uh, wrestling the calendar of my exit and who gets to control it and who doesn't. So time will tell. I think, I think there's a way he finds his, his, his way out of Green Bay, and I would have never said that. Uh, I just think we're at that point where he's 38 years old. He wants the GM fired, so to speak. We, don't, we know that's probably not going to happen. You're not going to trade Jordan Love, fire the GM to invite him back for what, one year? Yeah. Maybe two? It's just probably not going to happen. So I think there's a way he, he can play the cards. His, his agent is a veteran agent, Dave Dunn, who's been in the business for 100 years. He knows exactly this road when they de decided to go down it. He has all the cards lined up. He knows what's going to happen. So I think it's, it's crazy to think it, but you might be seeing Aaron Rodgers playing uh, in another uniform next fall. I want to ask you, Randy, in terms of, uh, of this situation, and the GM, what, what do you know about the Packers GM? Is, is this, do you think this relationship in any way, what, what would the Packers have to do to appease Aaron Rodgers or has that ship sailed? I think the ship may have sailed because I think there's a respect factor that, that either Aaron didn't feel it from the GM and he's definitely not given the respect back to the GM as well. This is a first time GM. Brian Gutekis came from a scouting world of being on the road, looking at players. I think the biggest misnomer when you get into these jobs is you can still sit in a room, shut the door and pick players on your team. That's about a 10th of the time you get to spend. The other 90% is working the building and communicating with guys like Aaron Rodgers, your coaches, your scouts, all the people in the building. And I think Brian is sorting, sorting his way through this. Now, what do they say? Uh, he's learning, learning on the job, but educate, uh, you got to have experience. And the only way you're going to get it is to go through some of these fires, have some of these things blow up on you. Unfortunately, you don't want it to have happen with your best player. That's for sure. And that's what this has done. So I do think it's about respect. Maybe the one thing that can solve it, like in most cases in the NFL is money, right? So maybe they end up signing him to a crazy deal that makes up for everything. And that's professional sports. We'll see. Now, I, I know you're not a an NFL scout. You're not in these in, in the mix like he used to be. But a 38 year old Aaron Rodgers. Who will take him? Are there any teams out there that you can think of that's, that you're like, OK, that could be a good fit for Aaron? Well, I think if you get right down to it, the chances of them trading him to another NFC team are slim. That's probably not going to happen. So you're probably looking at an AFC team and you're probably looking at something west of the Mississippi because that's the underlying factor, I think, in, in why he wants out is he wants to come back west a little bit. So I think it's a two team race. I think it's the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders and probably Denver has as much as anybody to give to get him. I do think they'll be able to get something for him if it gets to that point. I think Denver's without a quarterback still. I know they've made a deal for Teddy Bridgewater, but he's not of Aaron Rodgers' ilk. And so they're going to, 
you know, I think Teddy would be a great guy to send back as the bridge guy to, to for Jordan Love back to Green Bay. So we'll see. I think um, I do think there's a market for him. I do think that a place like Denver would be willing to give a first round pick, maybe more, maybe a player. Uh, it could be a Vaughn Miller in the deal. He only has one year left on his deal. And those names mean something to, to people in Green Bay. So, you know, we'll see. I think it, it all depends on how deep Aaron wants to dig his heels in, right? I mean, the next the next really bridge that has to be crossed is June 1. Nothing's going to happen before June 1 because of contract issues and cap ramifications. Then the next thing is if he comes to training camp. I wouldn't expect him there for any of the off-season stuff, no matter if it's virtual or not. He won't participate in that. He's he's a, he's a man of principle, and I think his pride's been checked. So probably going to take it all the way to the end, and, and that probably means he doesn't show up for camp. So maybe nothing gets done until August, maybe the end of August. But that, there'll be some other important timelines that we have to follow with regard to this. Randy, I hear everything you say about not trading him to another NFC team. But but a quick story. I sent a, a text to, to Bump last week. With, with like a, it's an old talk show trick, right? You got to generate controversy and you got to generate conversation. So you mix it up a little bit. So the way I was mixing it up with Michael was, hey, Bump, you've got a quarterback in Green Bay. Uh, it's got a high profile celebra- celebrity uh, girlfriend or a fiance at this. I know time. where this is going. Yeah, you know, right? <laughs> and, and then you got this guy in Seattle and, and he, and he kind of fits that bill as well. And, and he wasn't happy with his team. Um, if, if they were to theoretically trade places, both are still true contenders for a Super Bowl. No one's taken a big step back. My question is, is there any scenario in which Green Bay picks up a phone and calls Seattle or John Schneider, who has very tight ties to that Packers organization? And oh, by the way, Russell Wilson played collegiately at the University of Wisconsin, that the Seahawks call the Packers. Does, is that even a conversation that those franchises would have? Um, I think after June 1, something like that could be discussed. And I'm not saying it would happen, but I definitely think you can connect enough dots and you've done a good job of rolling it out. But it's one of the first things I thought of as well. I think the biggest thing in any um, Russell Wilson even discussion was what would the Seahawks do at quarterback? And this solves that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that Aaron Rodgers is going to play two or three years, maybe longer. Um, we saw what Tom Brady's done into his 40s. I don't think there's any reason why Aaron Rodgers can't do that. You know, I, I think it would have to get some discussion. Whether a deal like that could happen, I don't know. You're talking about two big money guys. The cap would be reduced after June 1, again, like we've talked about. So it may get some discussion. There's no doubt. It'd be an interesting uh, one to follow. Now, my, my question for you, Randy, is how do you feel about quarterbacks kind of demanding things? Me, um, I'm OK with it because I kind of understand where they are when it comes to their right. their rank in the organization. A lot of people have issues with it. Um, you've been around a lot of football. You've seen a lot of football. I feel like this is a recent development. Growing up, I never really heard about John Elway making demands or Troy Aikman or Steve Young. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm not against it, to be honest with you. I don't think they need to be shut out of the room. I think they get to a certain point in their career where they have things that are important to them. Most of the time it's winning. I think it, it gets a little murky when the agenda is questioned, whether it's not all about winning. If it's about something else, then I think you have some issues. I don't think you can consult them on every decision you make, but 
I, I don't see any reason why you can't take a little input from him. And I think we're seeing that around the league. Part of a GM's job and the head coach's job is to listen to his players, listen to the people that are around you. These are the guys that are out there scrapping every down. Why would you shut them out completely? So I have no problem with it. Well, I don't know if they consulted uh, Russell here in Seattle when it came to their first pick in the draft, second round wide receiver out of Central Michigan in, in Dwayne Eskridge. But, but Bump, you, you're, a, you're a former NFL receiver. You played and had a much better career at a higher level of college football than Dwayne did. I'm not knocking him. I'm just telling the truth about you. So based on what you know about this kid, how does he fit in potentially with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson and that Seahawks offense. Well, before I get into that, I just want to toot my own horn and say I predicted this pick weeks ago on 710, all the, the stuff nice. that I do. I yeah. predicted this pick, so I pat I pat myself on the back when, when I saw them make that pick. Yeah. Now, when we talk about him as a player, we're seeing a guy who's fast. He's had touchdowns of 72 yards, 76 yards, and 85 yards. For me, in college, those were pump returns. I wasn't taking anything to the house. Um, in, in an offense like that, you have a guy who is great run after the catch and who plays with an intensity that a lot of receivers don't play with. Why does he play with that intensity? He played some defense in college as well. He's played gunner in college as well. If you play defense and you're asked to run down the field and tackle another human being, you got to have something going on, right? You got to have some type of edge about you. And he plays with that edge. He was a running back in college, excuse me, in high school. So he knows how to get it done there. He was Mr. Mr. Um, excuse me, he ran track in high school as well. So you're just getting an all-around football player, not just a receiver. He returned kicks as well. You're getting a special teams guy in the return game when it comes to tackling guys, and you're getting a, a solid number three receiver. The knock on him has been, oh, well, he hasn't ran a lot of routes. And I, I really hate when people say that because it, it wasn't his idea. It wasn't his fault. <laughs> he only ran those routes. He just did what he was asked to do in his offense. I heard someone, I heard some people say some stuff about that, about another guy, DK Metcalf, who ends up being one of the best receivers in the league. So let's throw that out the window. Give this guy a chance to be coached and develop. And I think what he brings to the table is going to help in this Rams, excuse me, not Rams, this Seattle offense now coming from the Rams and Shane Waldron because he's going to run those shallows, he's going to run screens. You're going to ask him to take the ball to the house for 72, 76, and 85 yards. And he's shown that he can do that in college. Hey, Randy, I think most of us felt that when all was said and done, based on his history, John Schneider was probably going to come out of that draft with at least five picks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, they had four picks, but he used that as leverage. They have three, including Eskridge, who is their top uh, choice uh, coming in the second round. I'm just curious, in, in the drafts that you led for your various organizations, what was the lowest number of picks that you had? And how did you how did you view drafts when you were maybe a little lighter than ideally you wanted to be? Well, I think it's a it's a key point to building your team without a doubt. When I went to New Orleans, when I left Seattle and went to New Orleans, it was the year after Mike Ditka and the Saints had given away the farm for Ricky Williams. So I had very few picks that year. We didn't have a first and I don't think we had a third. They had given away some other stuff as well. So that was probably the fewest picks I ever dealt with. I would say this in John's behalf this year. I thought this year's group was kind of a disjointed, um, not very deep, um, probably not one of our better drafts, right? I just don't, I didn't see the quality at the top of the first round outside of maybe 10 or 12 picks. 
And I think the depth of the draft really showed. I thought teams, and I looked at a ton of guys on film this year, I thought teams were drafting in round five and six free agents. That's what I thought they were doing. There just weren't enough players to go around. Now, I think we'll see the other end of that next year because I think it's going to be a great draft. More players will come out. Nobody's going to opt to stay in. And so I just think that's the way it worked out. If this was, if you had to pick a year where you had three picks, this would be the year to do it. I guess that's what I'm saying. So maybe John's able to use that to, to move around. The good thing about the receiver is it, it comes also at a position of big need for them. I've said from day one, they needed a slot guy. They needed a guy that can come in, do some things like, like uh, Bump had said, stretch the field from the middle of the field. And I think you're right. He'll be able to learn different route trees. That's, that's not a, a fatal flaw of his. Like you say, he's going to run the routes they ask him to run. So I think it's a good pick. And overall, I think in a draft that, was light on talent. It was light on depth to, to, to move around. Like you say, you had four picks at one time, ended up with three. I think you're probably talking about him, Estridge being a good player, but the other two guys probably be more prospects than anything else at this point. Special teams guys, prospects. I know with the big lineman from Florida, um, Forsyth, I, I rem, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the, the tackle that the Seahawks had that signed with the Jets last year, George uh, the basketball player, uh, Fant. Fant. Yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind of skill set you're looking at with this kid. So a little bit of a project. He looks like a big basketball player. He's six foot eight, long arms. Going to have to get stronger. So those are the kind of picks that you know you would get in the later rounds and maybe sign as free agents. But they're going to have to develop. So other than the first pick, I think the Seahawks, uh, you know, probably looking at like I said, prospects more than anything else. I right, Randy, I'm going to ask you to put on your GM hat again. You've had, you had your three picks. You had an offseason as a Seattle Seahawks GM. You're bringing Kerry Hyder. You re-signed Dunlap. Gabe Jackson comes in an offensive line. It seems like you made every move that you were supposed to make. Do you reach out to number three, Mr. Russell Wilson, and, and ask if, if he's happy at this point? Do you kind of gauge his temperature? I do not. I'm done with that. We're moving on. I mean, I hear what you're saying. And I do think you have to have a constant dialogue. And it sounds like Pete has that with him. So I would definitely let Pete handle that part. But we can't acquiesce at this point. This is the team we have. We're either all in or all out. That's what I want to know. You're either with us or you're not. And I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room at this point. Um, They've handled it like they thought they could. There's nothing they can go back and change. Russell's handled it like he wanted through his agent. I think he's got really a, a way out of this thing now to come play and do what he does best. Let's face it. He didn't finish the season on a high note personally either. So he should take this as a challenge as well. He's got to lift whatever team they bring to, to camp. He's got to lift it to a higher level. And that's where I would be worried or, or concerned if I was Russell Wilson, I'd be worried about myself. Yeah. I, I want to get you guys feedback on, first of all, do, do either of you know of any companies that will ensure uh, one, if not two hamstrings, is anybody aware of anybody that'll do that? <laughs> anybody? Cause we need, might need somebody because there, there, a lot of 12s are very nervous <sighs> about one DK Metcalf, who is going to, at this point anyway, scheduled to run against uh, world-class sprinters down in California uh, this weekend, a 100 uh, meter event. Um, Michael, look, I, look, it's, uh, he's a competitive guy. I, I love that. He, he did a hell of a job chasing down Buda Baker. We know he is fast, but risk versus reward. All right. What's your take on DK? Again, at least at this time, uh, looking like he's going to take part in this competition. I love it. 
when is it? It's next weekend, right? So you got June, July, August, September. So say something happens, knock on wood, he'll have three months to recover. He's not going to break anything running a hundred meter dash. Now he can pull the hammy and the, and the hammy is, is, is a tricky deal. But as a coach, Pete Carroll always talks about competition and about allowing guys to be themselves because when you have a happy employee, just the whole environment is better, right? And DK has shown that he's one of the fastest human beings in the world. So me personally, I think it, it might help the Seattle Seahawks brand because now they're saying, look what they do over there in Seattle. They're allowing DK, well, they can't, they're allowing DK to go compete in a race. I understand where the coaches could be. I'm a bit skeptical about this. Um, he is risking injury, but if he comes out of this and he qualifies for the Olympic trials, well, I don't, I don't think he would actually go to, I think this is just like a pride thing. Um, it, it helps. It helps your organization. It gives it a little more notoriety, but that's me talking as a player. Now I put my coach hat on. I'm talking to DK. Sure. You want to do this? Um, you know, who are you training with? He needs to make me feel okay about this at this point. But you only live once. He'll only be this fast once because I promise you in a couple of years, that speed is going to deteriorate a little bit. Uh, so you let him roll the dice and, and see what happens. But I'm excited to see what he does. If he qualifies, that has to be one of the, the greatest achievements at, at, from a football player I've ever seen. Randy, I'm watching it, but I really don't want to see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What are your it's thoughts? A, it's a hard one. I can appreciate and respect what Bump's saying about it. Um, I understand it from the player's point of view. Really, none of that enters into the equation for me. I think it's a tough deal. Um, I surely don't want to see it. Um, I've just been around long enough to know where crazy things happen, right? I mean, we talked about some of the things where players are getting hurt uh, away from the away from the facilities, uh, not under uh, control of the of the personnel, people of the trainers. Uh, you know, the whole thing makes me nervous. You know, hopefully if he does it, I'll have my fingers crossed for the whole franchise, but there's definitely risk. And when you say risk reward, there's not a lot of reward for the Seahawks. I understand that uh, you want competition, you want competitive players, but I would struggle with this one. And I know, you know, in a lot of times you would write some of this stuff into your contracts. I guess he doesn't have anything in his where you would definitely discourage skiing, snowboarding, water skiing, all kinds of extracurricular activities. So obviously that's not in there, or if it is, it's, uh, you know, it's not highlighted, that's for sure, but it's a tough spot as a, as management, as a coach, um, you know, I, I guess you can't say don't do it, but you sure going to have fingers crossed, toes crossed, everything on that day. That's for sure. Hey, Randy, those activities you talked about that the teams frown upon or are written in contracts, do not take part in these. How often during your run in a front office did, did you catch wind of a guy doing something he wasn't supposed to do? And, and what were those conversations like upon you guys finding out that maybe so-and-so was playing hoops back at his high school or, yeah. or, or, or skiing uh, up in Aspen or whatever it may, may have been um, to say, I mean, did you get on them hard? Did you just, how did, how'd you handle that? Well, it's definitely part of the 
day and age. I think back in back in the eighties and nineties, you remember the basketball teams. All these teams had traveling basketball teams that would go around and play in cities all over the Northwest for charity, and and they would get cash on it. Shoot, I used to play with them when I was a young kid in the front office. You know, play basketball and get three hundred bucks. Are you kidding me? That was like stealing. You know, <laughs> but it all comes with risk, and the money has gotten to where the money is is that these players make, and the risk they put on their own future is is hard to equate reward with that. So um, it's definitely a factor. You do have to come down on these guys. You have to just let them know the pros and the cons. And we talked about a guy like Nate Odoms, who we signed back in the late eighties from the Buffalo bills. We paid this guy millions of dollars and he got hurt two weeks before camp playing in a pickup basketball game tore his ACL and really never played for us. Never was the same. So there's risk. You say you hope nothing happens, but I've just seen it happen too many times. So the whole thing makes me nervous. I'll give you now, the last word on this. The last word. My last word is when I was 23, 24 years old, there's nothing I couldn't do. Yeah. And I didn't think about getting hurt. Once I started thinking, thinking about getting hurt, I knew it was time to hang them up because I'll never play the same. So you almost have to allow this man to keep his edge because that's what makes DK great. One of the things that makes him great is he has this edge about him. He accepts every challenge. He's going to look the DB in the eye. And I think him accepting this challenge is part of his edge. And I feel like Pete Carroll understands the psychology of, of an athlete. He understands the danger of this thing, but he's going to, he's going to toe the line and, he, and he's going to, he's going to give him some, some pushback, but I think he'll also allow him to be him. If I'm 24 and I just had, 23 I just had a thousand yard season 900 yards before that I'm invincible you ain't stopping me so I, I kind of get where where he is in his life as a 35 year old man I'm thinking I would I shouldn't do that I'm not going to do that <laughs> so here's what I'm hoping I'm hoping he's not going to bust out of that start I hope he just stands up takes his shirt off and <laughs> jogs 100 meters so he'll he'll just become the rage of the internet right and the mar more marketing opportunities will come in for him. It'll be a big payoff. So show off that 12 pack DK and uh, jog on down the rest of the way. But I got your points, right? I get a bump, you know, and hopefully he'll be fine. The, the hamstrings will be fine. The Achilles tendon will be fine. And uh, we'll just enjoy the event. Um, before we move on to, to a, a final uh, topic, when we got another guest, uh, coming up, I want to mention uh, Randy's got a terrific podcast as well. It's called the Football GM. That's where all podcasts can be found. So you can get that and uh, hear from Randy regularly. Also, uh, you can get more on Randy at MuellerFootball.com. Uh, so be sure and check that out. Randy, always, we appreciate uh, your time. Uh, before we transition to our next guest, Michael, there's an event coming up. And this is what I'm going to talk to another former Cougar about. And you're heavily involved in this. And it's called Cleats versus Cancer. We got the details coming up around the corner with a guy who, like you, not only went to Pullman, but wore number five, Derek Sparks. But you, you're heavily involved in this. Tell everybody, just give them a brief background on Cleats versus Cancer. Uh, Cleats versus Cancer. Um, this is our third or fourth year doing this thing. Derek Sparks has a daughter um, who battled cancer. She's cancer free now. And he was really inspired by her and he wanted to do something that brought awareness to cancer and then gave um, a bunch of these athletes an opportunity to showcase themselves. And we're talking we're talking like the guys who aren't the, the four star, five star recruits who, who really don't need this game, you know, and especially in 2021, where these seniors 
really didn't have the best opportunity to show what they can do. This is another way for them to get their names out and for a good cause. There are scholarships that are given out of this game. Um, it's just a great situation overall. I'm one of the, the directors on the board and uh, a good event this year. We're, we're going to a fastest man contest and we're not going to exclude the big boys. You know, the online D line guys are going to get some love in this thing as well. And it's a real family event. Um, I'm, Grateful to be a part of it. Derek Sparks has been one of my closest friends over the last five, six years, and um, just blessed to be a part of it. And if um, if you have a chance to check it out or to contribute in any way, I highly recommend that you do and you won't regret it. All right. We got more details with Derek uh, in just moments. And Randy, you'll love the conversation as well, because not only more information on cleats versus cancer, but Derek is currently an assistant coach at what you know is is really the the gold standard of small college football in the Northwest, and that's Pacific Lutheran University. <laughs> so I can appreciate gonna... and respect that very much. <laughs> so as a Linfield guy, yeah. <laughs> I know that's how you feel, yeah. and you're going to want to hear from okay. Derek as we'll talk a little PLU football as well. Randy, again, we appreciate it very much. Thanks for the time, all right? Anytime, guys. Thanks, Randy. Well, Derek, I know this event is uh, near and dear to your heart. Um, give everybody the background. What's what the inspiration was for you to be the guy that really uh, launched cleats versus cancer? So uh, in June of 2018, uh, my daughter, uh, Zaley, like Haley, uh, Zaley, uh, she always gets gets on me because she said I screwed her name up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Uh, so, yeah, I know. So, so everyone calls her Z or calls her Zay. A great, great spirit, man. Just graduated high school, getting ready for college. And in June, she wasn't feeling well. And in the June, it, you know, it was a continual thing. So, so you know, she she, we, she went to the hospital, and and lo and behold, they checked her blood, and turned out that she had a blood cancer called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And I remember when I got the call and I just was really numb when I got, and I instantly broke down and just, you know, cause you never think that it's gonna be you or your family. And I said, not Zaley, this is a child that has done all the right she, she, she graduated with honor. She is a beautiful spirit. She loves the Lord, man. I mean, she lives her life according to, 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 to God's. She's the one that always reminds us about doing the right thing, right? <laughs> it reminds her friends about doing the right thing. And, and she's just a cool gal, man. And, and so when that happened, it was very devastating. And, and so, you know, like we always do, you know, we pick ourselves up and, and we dust ourselves off. And, and of course we asked the question, why, you know, God, why, why our family, why us, why, why Zaley in, in, in this moment in time when she's getting ready to go off to, you know, her, her, her next progression in life and, and start off, start our life really. And so we jumped head into it, man. We head first and we started educating ourselves. And we realized that there's so many cases out there similar uh, that folks are going through. 
and we were not alone. And so that brought us some comfort. You know, of course, the football community rallied around my family and rallied around her and, and just showed her so much love and support. And, and I, I mean, it was so overwhelming. And on days where, you know, she's laying there and, and, and she's going through the process of receiving the, the, the chemo, you know, and she just, you know, you feel awful just to see her you sit there, lay there in agony and in pain and discomfort. But let me tell you, man, it showed me how community is so important and how we are all tied together, you know, as, as, as human beings, man. And, and, and so we grew, you know, 10 feet, man. We literally said, wow, the power of prayer, the power of good thoughts and vibes and, and the football community. I mean, you know, the Washington State University rally, Coach Leach sent her you know, uh, 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 packages and, 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 and uh, Emmerich, his, his uh, chief of staff sent packages, you know, with, with positive vibes and notes from the team and Pacific Lutheran University sent, you know, loot salutes, you know, these cards that, that were handwritten with just these amazing thoughts and, and, and inspiration and motivation. And it just was so hard to contain like, holy smokes, people really do care. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about uh, how she's doing in just a moment, but I want to take this to which obviously for you was a, a next step in trying to help others facing this. So you come up with cleats versus cancer. Tell everybody exactly um, what that is. You brought together, obviously, this will be the third game of this event um, where you're getting some great high school talent on the field. Uh, competing, but competing for a good cause. Right. And, and Zaylee is a, is, a, is a natural fan of football, right? She got it honest. So I know <laughs> that if we were going to do something, it was going to be around the game of football. And ironically, I tell the story all the time. You know, I was three in the morning. I, I have a, on my note stand, I have a little notepad, and I wrote down football game on there in a dead sleep, rolled over and just, I don't know if it was God's voice, right? And I went and I, and one of my good friends, Sheldon Cross at Kennedy Catholic, I said, man, what do you think about if we do um, some kind of football game to highlight, you know, families fighting cancer? And, and he was like, you should do it. <laughs> you should do it. And, and, and that was in October. Uh, 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 and, and so within two months, we put together this, 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 this football game. And I reached out to all the high school coaches and said, hey, Will you coach in the game? Will you nominate your, your top seniors? And, and boy, did they send, send their top guys. Yes, coach, we'll coach in it. We'll, we'd love to be a part of this. Um, and that was the birth of, of this idea of bringing awareness to you know, families and children fighting cancer, right? Raising some support for families who are that need support uh, through the, the ticket sales, but also giving the student athletes one more opportunity to play a football game. Yeah, in front nice. of the recruiters. And, and so, you know, last time we did it, uh, we, we had 14 colleges there. And so it was just a beautiful thing to see it come full circle. It was confirmation to me that that listening to that voice, you know, I think we all have a calling, uh, you know, on our life to do certain things. And a lot of times we pass on it or we act on it. Right. And so I felt like, you know, I listened to that to that that voice of doing something positive and, and it was the right thing to do. And here we are year three.
So May 15th, tell everybody where, um, how much, I'm not sure with the COVID and potential restrictions, how, how are you going to run this uh, this year with those unique circumstances? So we're doing it May 15th right now. We have slated for a five o'clock kickoff um, at uh, Frenchville here in Kent, Washington, you know, Kent School District and working with Kevin, the athletic director, who's been so gracious uh, to, to work with us. In, in that venue. And, and, and so we're happy to continue to do it there. Um, yes, we're phase three King County. You know, we're going to follow all the protocols, you know, we 50% of capacity. So, you know, of the stadium, I think the stadium sits 7,000. Um, the last time we had the game, we had roughly 3,000 um, come because we had a double header. So um, we, we had a lot of fans. And so this year we're doing one game because of COVID because of the fact that the game got or, or uh, football got moved to the spring, either guys have already signed and wanted to opt out of the game or they played their season and got hurt or they're playing spring sports. They're in track meets, districts, they're playing, you know, baseball, they're playing basketball. So we, we're up against that. So we roughly have about 100 dudes to play the game and, and, and we're happy to, to actually play a game because no, it wasn't yeah. really guaranteed. Um, so we're asking folks to come and just follow the protocol, you know, social distance. We'll use both sides of the stadium to spread people out. Um, admissions is 10 bucks and uh, come and, and get yourself a beverage and, 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 and watch a, 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 some all stars run around the, the field. You know, you got kids from Idaho, Oregon and, of course, the state of Washington. And uh, we're excited, man. The kids are excited. They understand that kind of our tag this year is bigger than football. And so they, they actually get it, man. And so it's awesome to see. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed for good weather for you. Let's circle back to Zaley. How's she doing three years after the diagnosis? So, so Zaley is cancer free. Thank God. Yes, uh, sir. Yes. We got that news uh, about four or five months ago um, that she was in fact, uh, you know, cancer free and, and that, you know, um, she, she can start to kind of pull her herself together and her life together. Now it's going to take her another six, seven months to kind of get her mental capacity back and, and get her legs under her, but her, uh, all of her hair has grown back, which is awesome. You know, uh, that was the, one of the most devastating things to see, uh, you know, she had that, what we call Beyonce hair. So it was like really big. <laughs> <laughs> And so when she lost that beautiful hair, man, yeah. it, it broke our heart. It broke our heart, man. And so she's striving. She's got that glow again. And God is good. Community rallied around us. And we're so happy. Yeah, that's awesome news. That's great news. Um, for folks that don't know, one of the other things you're involved in is football at my alma mater, which is Pacific Lutheran uh, University. So uh, you guys had a unique circumstance, like a lot of colleges did. You did not have a fall season. But you did play, I think it was four spring games against two teams. I think you played UPS twice. Was it Whitworth twice as well? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so how did you just find that experience? Because it was it was actually kind of a hybrid, right? It was, you know, real football, but it was in the spring and clearly an unusual and shortened schedule. What were your takeaways from that? You know, I think what some of the things that we learned is, A, you know, we are blessed to, to play this game. You know, when you have obviously something taken away from you, you know, that's, that could be really devastating. And, and for that long, I think it was over 400 days that, you know, we hadn't played the game. And so I really felt for the team and, and of course the seniors who, 
were caught in this limbo of not knowing if they're going to have a season and, and then, you know, trying to figure out, do they, you know, opt in and take another year because they didn't have a full season. So there's all those dynamics um, and doing, you know, spring ball over zoom. If you can imagine that, like we didn't even have any contact uh, when everything got shut down. And so, here we are, uh, you know, doing watching film over Zoom. We're doing install over Zoom. I even set up my backyard to to go through plays and I'm setting up lawn chairs and pillows and and trying to simulate right the steps of how we run inside and outside zone and all this all these things. So just trying to be creative. Uh, one of the things that we learned is as a football coach, we have so much more capacity than we believe we have and I think when you get something taken away from you you realize that wow I've been doing that for 15 years or I've been doing that for 10 years as a coach and I was forced to modify it and actually that works that actually works better you know so I think you know a lot of the coaches throughout the, you know the state can attest to that that we found a way to do the job differently and probably more efficiently um, uh, with, with, with COVID. And so that's a takeaway that I will say I put in a positive category, yeah. but just the mental health of the players, I think was, was one that we could tell that it was affecting our, our young men. And, and so, you know, that was concerning just to keep them engaged and keep them going. And, and then not only did football get taken away, but now they're doing all their classes over zoom. So they're confined to a computer the whole day, you know, and, and, and then you hop on and you do football. And so, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty much, you know, very tiresome. And I think that's what we heard from our players. They were just really tired. It was such a long process to get back on the field. And once we got back on the field, obviously so happy and grateful to have another opportunity to go out and play the game that we love to coach the game that we love and so we were happy to get the four games, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, no matter what it looked like. Yeah. No fans. Fine. You know, uh, we'll take it. Um, and yeah, we got to play, you know, only two teams, you know, twice. Fine. We'll take it, you know. And so we just was got to the point where where we just was very grateful to have the opportunity to play the football again. Um, from a development standpoint, that's how kind of how we viewed the season that we were going to give guys an opportunity to kind of develop some guys that hadn't played some guys were, you know, had some question marks, you know, so we, you know, guys got reps that probably normally wouldn't have got reps. Um, and so we're pleased with that as well. And of course, this is our third year at Pacific Lutheran and, and we are trying to build, you know, the program and, and obviously recruiting is very important in that. And so, so we just been on the, on the grind trying to, um, you know, attract the right talent to, to, to our, our institution. Um, we hosted a, what we called uh, junior days over Zoom. And sometimes we had 100 players on there from all around, you know, the Northwest and the West Coast, you know, on these, these Zoom calls for a junior day where we're highlighting, you know, PLU as a possible, uh, you know, place where they could continue their career. So we tried to, you know, utilize the time um, to be productive, uh, and, and, and to make some connections that we probably wouldn't have made uh, if, if COVID wouldn't have happened. 
NCAA Division Three members of the Northwest Conference. Have you guys been assured you're going to have a fall season? I mean, obviously, the hope is the majority of people are going to be vaccinated uh, by that time. Does it look like you're going to be good to go? You don't you don't have the some of that financial luxury, if you will, as a Power Five conference, right? Sure, we can test multiple times a week, and we can do this. You're you know you're really working on very thin financial margins. So, what are you hearing about uh, getting it back? in the fall and, and playing a full schedule? Yes, yes, good question. So as far as I know, what I've heard is that we'll have our full, uh, you know, schedule, um, um, you know, unless something happens, God forbid, where we were rolling back, which wouldn't be good news for anybody, um, but, but we're expected to be moving forward. Um, we are in spring right now, and it's a modified spring. Uh, we started last week, and so we get eight practices normally, we're, we're 20 plus practices in the spring. And so that's been modified and hey, it's only eight practices, but we'll take it. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're looking forward to a season and we're hopeful and prayerful that, uh, that that's gonna happen. And, um, and so, yeah, and, and you're right. We don't have the resources of, you know, uh, the D1 guys, you know, that have, can be tested all the time. And, and so, but POU does a great job of testing throughout the week. You know, I know coaches get tested every Monday, players get tested, you know, frequently throughout the week. And so, you know, resources are, are minimal, but, you know, our president and our athletic director and our head coach, Brent McAdams, have figured out a system that works for us. And uh, we've been pretty good, man. We've had a few, you know, hiccups in terms of, of cases and, and, but, but, you know, we've done the process and was able to keep the team safe primarily didn't have to cancel any games or anything like that. So uh, we're going to continue to protect each other and do the right thing. And, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, in August we'll be in, in camp and we'll be ramping up and getting ready to go. So, as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a PLU guy and uh, grew up in the area, at least from junior high school on lived in the same neighborhood as, Frosty Westering, the legendary PLU coach, right? So uh, uh, a lot of people have strong feelings about the program. And I know one of the things that for many years, many of us have felt would be a, a tremendous asset, not only to the university, but to your program would be an on-campus stadium. Um, has there been any recent talk of trying to get that done? And I'm sure matters have become complicated financially, again, um, due to the pandemic, uh, where's that possibility stand, or is that something that is maybe more of a long-term uh, goal for the uh, PLU uh, family? Tom, you know what I think. I think you should, you know, come and help us out and start a cap <laughs> start a capital campaign, man. My That's checkbook's not big enough, but I'll help any way I can. Okay, I'll help. Hey. I'll help you. I'll help you get other people's money. If yes. Yes, I think you're right on, man. I think in the in the game that we're playing, it's all about eye candy. It's all about kids are window shoppers, right? They 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 look and they want to see the glitz and the glamour and the uniforms and 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 the stadium and all of the extra stuff in terms of facilities. So we are well aware that um, that a stadium would be awesome, right on campus because it's such a great community. It, a great venue and there's a couple of areas on campus that I think it would be dynamic and awesome kind of similar to Washington State where Martin Stadium sits you know mm -hmm. kind of right in the in the middle of, of things uh and so you know I, I think 
you know, it's it, it would be awesome um, to answer your question. However, you know, we did just open up our brand new locker room for football and track. And let me tell you, that thing is probably one of the best in the country. You know, one of the best I've seen. I've been in a lot of locker rooms, right? Um, and, and it's one of the one of the best that I've seen. And, and we're happy about that. Of course, you know, that costs a lot of money, you know, and, and I know, you know, we'll continue to pay for that. And, 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 and so but I think the next progression, obviously, we'll start talking about a stadium. And but look, I'll say this. If Frosty Western could get a stadium and he won how many national championships, you know, I, I don't know if it's in our in the cards for us to get one, but we're very hopeful. Yeah, uh, I will say, and and I was jo- I wasn't joking when I said, you know, help us out. You know, it's gonna take the 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 community and the alumni to rally around the program and to say, hey, we're willing to jump in and help lead the charge with putting something together. And now that's not saying. We're asking, you know, whoever that committee of folks would be, we're not asking them to dig in their pockets, but let's create a vision. Let's get a blueprint going. Let's start the conversation and see where it goes, you know, you yeah. know, and I'll look at, you know, my experience in Washington state when, when I was there, we didn't have, you know, the facilities were minimal, you know, over in Bolu Jam and, 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 and we didn't know any better, but as, as, as time went along and you saw Oregon kind of, do what they did with their facilities and, and they really raised the bar. And, and so we were fortunate to have Bill Moose come in as the athletic director that really came with a vision and pulled the trigger on, on facilities and in and, and the football operations building and, you know, the second deck of suites, you know, um, and I know there's some grumblings about how it got paid for and all that. And I, I, I don't know enough to have an opinion about that, but it really do take a visionary to do that. And I think if you look at the recent success with Mike, you know, Leach coming in and, and hey, he going to bowl game every year and and doing the things he he's done. Now he didn't he didn't beat the dogs, but you know, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but but let me tell you, the facilities really helped in recruiting. Yeah. And so I think at PLU, one of the things that we're gonna battle is we're gonna battle the 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 Whitworths and the Linfields because they have beautiful facilities and that's a part of recruiting. Kids are actually window shoppers. They're saying, ah, I don't like that because the uniforms are ugly or they don't have a weight room or they don't have this or that. And unfortunately, that's how they weigh their decision. And that's, you know, that's that's kind of the era we live in, you know. Um, so um, so thanks for your question. Hopefully, you know, someone in, in Lutville land will, will see us, will hear this and say, you know what, let me call Coach Brant McAdams. And let's get this thing going. Yeah, let's dream big. Maybe one day we'll open Westering Stadium on the PLU campus. That would be that would be an awesome moment. Well, and you talk about it. you've got to have that vision, right? Well, you you certainly had the vision for cleats versus cancer. So that's a great example of you know waking up at three o'clock in the morning, writing that down on that pad next to your bed, and taking that dream and turning it into reality. So cleats versus cancer, the third edition. May 15th, French Field in Kent. 10 bucks gets you in. Most importantly, it supports a very good cause. So, Derek, thanks for doing that. Thanks for your time on the podcast. And uh, tell Zaley, we're glad she's doing great. And uh, keep it going. Man, I really appreciate you having me on. 
Thumb has been awesome. Uh, looking forward to working with you in the future. And then for just folks out there, uh, cleatsversuscancer.com. You can come and buy some gear, get you some some branding going, some merchandise to help us out. Okay, there you go. Good game. Go Zaley, go Lutz. Thanks, Derek. Yes, and go Cougs. <laughs> well, you had to throw that in and spoil the whole thing, didn't you? <laughs> Have a great day, buddy. All right, thank you.